0: It is the
1: word of Landrew.
0: Joy to you, friends. Thanks for joining us here in Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show to the original series. My name is Drew, or Landrew, and this is my co-host Mike from Commentary Stars. Hey, how's it going? I kind of mixed him there. Track, track. Yeah, covers all the bases that way, I guess, right? Yeah, if you just have a bad accent, then you can cover up a multitude of sins and create them. Yeah. Well, today, uh, well... Yesterday, if you if you get this episode on Monday, is the 35th anniversary of Star Trek the Motion Picture. So we decided we go back to uh, what we did for. Did we just do three and five?
1: Yeah, because those were the two. It was the 20th and the 25th anniversary.
0: Right. So we're we're gonna do the 35th anniversary of the Motion no, Picture.
1: 30th and 25th. My
0: bad. Okay. Yes. 30th, 25th. And 35th. Yes. 3, 5, and 1. Mm-hmm. 1, 3, and 5. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's impressive how fast they got those movies out.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know.
0: To I have guess... 1, 3, and 5, 5 years apart, and then have, you know, two, four, two and 4 in between them?
1: Well, I guess they weren't all that, you know, precious about it back then, or as precious about it. It's just like, let's get another movie out, you know? I mean, that's what we do. We make movies. Another movie, you know. So, what three years in between one and two, and then two years in between two and three, and then and then there was what two years, and then three years, and then two years, and then three years, and then two years, and then two years, and then four years, and then seven years, and then five years. <laughs> and now three years
0: question mark <laughs> but we're not here we've not come to to praise the other movies we're here to talk about star trek the motion picture which is probably the most pretentious title mm-hmm. of of anything but uh the format that we've been going with is uh, uh we talk about the first time we've seen it and then we talk about uh our impressions of it the first time we saw it and how our impressions of it are now, 35 years later, even though neither of us are 35. (laughs) Yeah, I'm close. Not quite. Not that you would have remembered seeing it anyway.
1: No, no.
0: But you did talk to Larry, who was there.
1: We did. And I guess you could say that today is the anniversary of when Larry saw Star Trek, the motion picture, because he saw it the day after, right? Oh, I think we learned. So there you go.
0: Well, there we go. <laughs> That's Happy why we held it Anniversary Larry. Yeah. It's for
1: Larry. Larry, specifically. <laughs> Larry
0: Nemeczek, to yes. those who don't know which Larry we're talking about. And that was on Commentary Trek Stars.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. 99, episode 99.
0: Oh, okay. Good. I'm glad. Oh, yeah. You knew because you were leading up to Citizen Kane. Yes. Which the director of this film edited. But that's, that's work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. That's your other job. Hmm. So, Mike, we know when you saw it for the first time. So I'll go first. Yes. The first time that I saw the motion picture was actually when uh, shortly... No, it was quite a few years after the DVD director's cut came out. That's so weird. Because, because my dad hates... The motion picture. Mm-hmm. He hates it so much that there, we never had a copy of it in the house, mm-hmm. and and so I was biased against it. it. Even when I started buying the the two disc collector's edition DVDs, I avoided buying any of the even number numbered movies. Odd numbered movies. So when I finally was like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna might as well. I'm halfway there. I'll buy the rest of them. Because so I bought three, you know, to fill in the trilogy, and then. You know, five, and then I think one was the last one that I got. I was yeah. like, "Fine, we'll watch it, whatever." So that was the first time that I watched the director's cut. I've seen it a few times since then, but yesterday was actually the first time watching the theatrical cut. And oh boy, that's
1: so weird, it's so backwards, yeah. and it, it's, it's so not you. And weird. You know,
0: <laughs> no, I'm all about theatrical editions. Exactly. I just didn't want to put the, I just didn't want to put the time into. Watching a version I know, well, I assume to be a uh, uh, less than stellar.
1: But as someone who's interested in film history and film pres- preservation and whatnot, I would have assumed that, you know, if for curiosity, more than anything else, you'd be like, I wonder what this original theatrical cut that everyone hates is.
0: Mm-hmm. I did. I did make a little, not like full blown, like I did for Star Wars, with every single frame that's different in between the original and the special edition. But I did make a uh, uh, like the big changes, the big visual effects changes. Uh, you can find that on Google somewhere.
1: Yeah. Although even even the uh, theatrical version, which is on the Blu Ray, has a few of those changes still in place because some of them were done in the uh, coloring stage, right, with the deflector dish. There's supposed to be like a whole thing. I don't remember what it was exactly, but there was a whole yeah. thing with when the deflector dish was blue and when it was gold or something.
0: Yeah, it was when it's the according to the bonus commentary you can find on Trek Core, thanks to me because <laughs> I saved it. Go, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can. They Darren Doctorman talks about how the deflector dish. Uh, is gold when it's in dry dock and then when the engines power on that's when it turns blue so he assumed that when kirk turns the engines off in Viger, that the deflector dish would then go back to gold instead of making it blue the whole time that's not important right now <laughs> blue the whole time like it is in every other movie but that's that's neither here nor there yeah uh he yeah so they color timed it back to gold when it turns the uh turns the engine off. I didn't notice that the Blu-ray did that too.
1: I mean, it's not something that I would have ever noticed either, but I remember people talking about that because they used the same transfer, they used the same, I don't know if you call it a DI or what, but um the the same transfer, you know, video transfer that they mm-hmm. had made for the special edition for the director's cut. And because of that, because of the color timing and that that's where they change the color, and that's you know, the element that exists or something.
0: Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Now I'm upset. <laughs> I'm gonna. Have you to thought look you were that.
1: watching something so pure because you know. Yeah. Back in 1979, they had 7.1 sound too.
0: Oh yeah, it wasn't definitely wasn't in mono. <laughs> no, it, was it in I think stereo.
1: I think it was probably in four track stereo, but mm, well, it would have been. Uh, matrix you know because there weren't any 70 millimeter prints despite what anyone will try telling you there were no 70 millimeter
0: prints of this movie i just i just saw uh in a collector's magazine that a co-worker gave me that somebody was you know selling uh the uh there were 70 millimeter film film cells in a in a in acrylic case
1: i think those might have been made specifically for that Although there were later on um at least a couple seventy millimeter prints that were made, but when the movie oh. first came out, there was no seventy millimeter because they didn't have time they didn't have time yeah. to make the prints There is this amazing picture, which was in one of the i think it was in like a one of the Star Trek magazines or something like that, where it has like a warehouse with all of the cans of thirty five millimeter prints for Star Trek the Motion Picture I've seen that picture out. it's
0: really cool. Yeah,
1: I used to have that hanging up in the wall on the wall in the the booth at my <laughs> theater. But
0: ah, I wish I could see that wall. <laughs>
1: There's a lot of crap on there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yes, I I recently just saw really both versions for the first time, but uh you of course saw it on VHS and decided that Star Trek was the dumbest thing ever. So, what was that like?
1: Well, you know, as someone who was coming at it from a Star Wars perspective and someone who was growing up on on Star Wars or who had grown up on Star Wars, you know, I, I was excited to to discover more science fiction, you know, and, and when when I when I took it home, I was very excited about what this was and, and I didn't really have any idea what I was getting into. And uh when I when I watched it, I was like, This is Star Trek? Now I know why people at school make fun of kids for liking Star Trek because it's really freaking boring, you know, and this was an interesting experiment and it's one which I'm glad is over with and it's time to move on with my life and maybe I'll check out uh, Caravan of Courage instead because, you know, there's more going on in that movie. Oh, jeez. But, uh, you know, the thing that sort of, like, made me give it a second chance after I had become a Star Trek fan, you know, I was back then actually much more sort of logical um, in terms of my my viewing habits, and I didn't really um, latch on to things because they were part of something else that I liked. I watched what I liked, which meant, you know, two, four, and six, really, Mm -hmm. Um, and three. I liked three as well, but... You know, when when I bought my own VHS tapes for these things, they would have the ads for, like, the complete collection or whatever it was in front of it where they would have clips from all the movies. And I'd be like, oh, there's that great scene from Wrath of Khan. And, oh, man, I love that scene from Undiscovered Country. And then it's like, oh, wow, that's a really nice-looking shot. What movie is that from? You know? <laughs> oh, oh, it must be from Star Trek The Motion Picture. You know they're really making this movie look good. I should probably give it another shot. And I did. And it was still really boring. You know? <laughs> and and it was yeah. one of those things where, you know, just as a Star Trek fan, you watch Star Trek, all of it, whether you want to or not, until you finally snap out of it and realize that you can be selective. And it takes it takes years and years to, to get to that point. And I don't think that... Most of us have actually gotten there yet, so <laughs> I, I had seen motion picture a, a billion times before I actually, you know, could appreciate it. And it, it was it was uh, when when I was started buying laser discs. There was a, a, a an old laser rotted copy of the pan and scan original laser disc at the music Recyclery in the North Riverside Park Mall that I bought for like $8 and when I saw that which was the the first time I had seen the theatrical cut instead of the Mm -hmm. special longer version I think is what they called it I was like it this less is more less is more this is interesting you know and and I still I, I started like appreciating that and I was very very excited for the director's cut but we'll get into that later on so, what about you? I mean, you you <coughs> saw the director's cut, and what did you think?
0: Well, I I still thought it was very boring. I I assumed it was better than the theatrical cut, but I didn't like really appreciate it. Like, I can see it as a historical artifact, even the director's cut, as as you know, a historical artifact. Star Trek One. It obviously said something to somebody, or they wouldn't have made sequels. Um, but I, I never appreciated it. I don't even know if I appreciate it today. Mm-hmm. It, listening to the the alternative commentary, uh, where they talk about how uh, at least the director's cut is about people connecting. And, and it's about, uh, you know, people—there's there's all kinds of ports that get docked, which sounds dirty, but— mm-hmm. Talking about ships, ship ports, that get docked. It's about connecting, uh, you know, the the docking pod connecting with the Enterprise, but it's about Kirk connecting with Spock and Spock connecting with V'ger and and uh, there's a lot of touching, like Aaliyah, you know, heals Chekhov's hand in the director's cut, and you know, there's all kinds of connections there. It doesn't I still don't appreciate it as much as I, I probably should, but I can see it's positive sides. Uh, it's not just super boring. It is trying to say something, but I'm I'm not sure what it's trying to say because it seems to be trying to say a lot of things. Maybe we'll get into that later.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so now having just watched the theatrical cut again, what what do you think? What does that say to you about both the director's cut and the theatrical cut?
0: It it tell it definitely. Uh, especially after seeing both, uh, it really shows uh, that this is a preview cut, that the theatrical cut is, you know, sure it was released in public and, you know, people loved it, but it, it really is a work in progress. There's a lot of things that you can tell. Somebody would have eventually said, you know, we should probably cut some of this out. Just because we shot this shot of the model, And just because, you know, this effect actually worked and we got it done in time doesn't mean we need to see it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a a weird thing um, for me because having first been exposed to the extended cut and then seeing the theatrical cut, it was like, oh, wow, this really is. I mean, sort of like it happens all the time now with unrated cuts of movies where it's like, we're going to stick a bunch of stuff in there that we cut out for reasons because we want to have, uh, you know, basically something that we can sell, you mm-hmm. know, as like an, an extra thing. And um, when I saw the theatrical cut afterwards, I was like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't blame them for this movie being as slow as it feels when you're watching the long version. But it still does feel long. It still does feel um, uh, unfinished, you know. And and when the director's cut came out, I mean, there, for years and years, there were uh, people talking about how they never finished editing, they never finished the effects. And it was always sort of one of those things where even when I would watch the theatrical cut, I'd be like, I wish I could see what it was that they originally wanted to do. I remember there being an article in, I think it was Sci-Fi Universe magazine, where uh, Mark Altman... Uh, talked about um, how there there needed to be a director's cut, and he was suggesting that um, Leonard Nimoy supervise it. I don't know why he wasn't suggesting Robert Wise supervise it. I think he was probably thinking like <laughs> Robert Wise is like, screw that, I don't know, Star Trek, what? <laughs> no, 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 but, you know, he I guess he figured, well, Leonard Nimoy, you know, he's uh, integral to the franchise and he's made a number of these things himself. He was there on set, so maybe he would be a good person to supervise the, the the creation of a finished cut. Um, mm. And it was one of those things where I always thought, like, yeah, that would be awesome. It's never going to happen in a million years, you know?
0: Yeah, why? There's no reason that they would need to.
1: Right, right. And then it did happen, you know, in 2001, right? And it mm. was super exciting. I, I remember... Like I remember going to the store and buying my copy. I remember uh buying it because like I, I worked with, with my friend Josh and he's like, buy me one too. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. And I like give it to him and he's like, Yeah. He's like, I don't even like this movie, but I'm so excited about seeing it. Because like <laughs> I, I had come to appreciate elements in it. And I guess that, that that continues through till today. But when you watch the director's cut, I don't really think of anything like there's times where I don't even remember like you talk about like Ilia touching Chekhov and healing him. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't even remember that that was in there because I remember that it was in the, the long version, but in the short version you just see Chapel come over and go pshh with their little yeah, thing. Spray him. <laughs> and and like I couldn't remember whether or not that was stuck back into the, the director's cut. But there were things where like even when watching it, like when when Kirk is like viewer off. We were off because like uhura is just like sitting there yeah like just standing
0: there for no reason
1: and like when they when they cut that out i'm like oh that's a good edit and it just feels really like you know i mean as you know someone who has you know gone to school and studied the editing process and all this stuff and kind of seen it in action it really does feel like the theatrical cut is an assembly and the director's cut is you know Robert Wise and whoever else, I don't know if Darren Doctorman was there or whatever, just sitting down in an edit bay and just going through the movie and just making a fine cut, just tightening mm-hmm. it up. You know, it's not like there's anything where they were like, you know, like an almost famous where it's like, we lost the stairway to heaven sequence and we need to have that put back in or the abyss with the ending or anything like that. It's just like, let's go through and just tighten you know just make it smooth and polished and pretty and and everything Mm -hmm. and that really makes all the difference in the world um there's still a lot of boring stuff in there but it kind of uh shines a spotlight on the stuff which really does work and there's a lot of that movie that i really do love like um that whole sequence where the enterprise docks I know people make fun of that forever because it's (laughs) so long and everything like that. But it's like you listen to the music and you just watch these visuals and it's like I could just sit there and watch that all day. I could watch that on a loop. That's my favorite scene in the entire movie because it's just like this thing that you're seeing is amazing. I'd love to see that on the big screen. And philosophically and stuff like that, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in Star Trek, the motion picture. The problem is maybe the communication it it doesn't uh get its points across as well as it should but i think it is dealing with some really interesting um issues you know
0: yeah i like all the scenes not all the scenes but most of the scenes where there's dialogue Mm -hmm. like like the the conversations are all good i really like and wish they had latched on to uh the uh, Decker being forced out of command yeah and how i wish that it dealt more with we learned more about Decker and how you know he had to have looked forward to this he's the new captain of the enterprise that's got to be the coolest thing in the world yeah and he seems more qualified than the next captain you know Harriman <laughs> we we'll, won't we'll get into him but uh you know he he seems competent he understands it he understands the ship. He understands the refit. He knows what it takes. But then Kirk's is like, no, 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 my ship. There's an emergency. We're the only ship in between here and Earth for some reason. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I'm going to take command. You know, I argued with the Admiral, and it's mine now. And Decker's just like, well, that's not very nice. And you told me you'd do this. And Kirk's like, yep. And Decker's like, okay.
1: See, I don't really see that. I think that even though it may not be explicitly stated... I think throughout the entire movie, you see Decker is just like I cannot stand this guy. This guy is the worst, you know. And and there's that sort of thing which is th- that tension which is running beneath the surface of the entire movie.
0: And yeah, I like is that. Is that the director's cut you're talking about?
1: No, I, I think it's in both. You know, do I? Do you, do you think that it's not in the theatrical?
0: I don't. I don't recall much, because there's so many wide shots, Uh, like they talked about in the alternate commentary, there's like, you know, we cut away from this wide shot to show more reaction shots to get closer to people, because there's so much just, when they were editing, they just set up the wide shot, and then didn't cut away from it at any point. So Mm -hmm. you don't get a lot of the reaction shots from people, you know, they're just in the background, because it's like, well, Kirk's talking in this scene, why would we show somebody else?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that that's true. I, but I don't. I don't really. I. I, I do still feel the tension between Kirk and and Decker, even in the. Okay. Um, and and I like that. I like the fact that you know the hero is a guy who is in this place because, even though he may be justified in it, he was kind of being a jerk to oh, yeah. the guy underneath him. And even, you know, there's moments where, like, the guy underneath him saves the ship because he knows more about it than, than Kirk does. And, you know, he's like, whatever, I'm going to show you up, and I don't care, you know? And and I like Decker's arc, you know, and, and the fact that uh they're, they're able to sort of parallel their stories, and, and you can see, you know, at the end when he's like, you know, you know how much you wanted the Enterprise. That's how much I want this right now. Let me do this. You know, and and Kirk, you know, is willing to to give him that. Like that's that's pretty cool. You know. Mm-hmm. But one thing which no matter what you think about this movie, I think pretty much everyone in the world can agree on is Jerry Goldsmith's score.
0: Oh, is it man. not
1: the best thing ever?
0: There's a reason why it's got that like introduction. Or it's just music,
1: yeah. Which is it's shorter. Because in we the, paid uh, for this. <laughs> we're
0: gonna we're gonna use it. We're gonna use it over and over and over again. But it's so good.
1: Yeah, and the theatrical cut is just the end, right? Mm-hmm. And it's over black. And then for the for the director's cut, you know, when that started and you see like the stars and you hear it and it's like longer. I'm like, oh yeah, this is amazing. Again, the whole thing here because that's one of my favorite pieces of of movie music ever. And then you know the docking sequence as well, and also he's you know I mean this is the first time that you hear what would become the next generation theme, you know, mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome, and I mean just like start oh god it's just so amazing you know starting it up with that that timpani that don't don't it's just like man you know after this this little nice thing which is a throwback to the old you know classic style Hollywood movies you know with the the you know overture and everything like that then you're just going to, like, kick into high gear with, with this. And it's just like, wow. I mean, I, I don't know. There's something about that which is just amazing. Like, if I were sitting in a theater and that happened, I'd be like, oh, yeah, we are in for, <laughs> like, the most exciting ride of our lives. And then, you know, the movie starts,
0: but whatever. I hope you like models, because <laughs> here they are.
1: Yeah. But I think what's what's really interesting about this movie is kind of seeing it through the eyes of, well, like Larry's generation, you know, Mm -hmm. and all these people who had grown up on, on the original series and its reruns and everything. And they were finally getting the return of Star Trek and on the big screen. Like, you know, I've, I've been there in that place with a number of things and I know the excitement and it must have been at like, fever pitch for these guys you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is so cool and and you know like you, you listen to them talk and everything like that and you see like the love that they have for this movie and you know we look at it and we're like why do these people like this movie so much that's so weird and yet I could say the same thing about the Phantom Menace that you know Larry and, and, and everyone else says about Star Trek the motion picture I think you know and they can, they can probably even admit that it has, you know, faults and everything like that. But the idea of being in that time and place, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of romanticism of that and and just the idea of, like, as fans, like, we did it, you know? I mean, like, you know, Bijou Trimble's in this movie and it's like, I can just imagine, like, for, for her, you know, as someone who is sort of, like, leading this charge to be like... Look at this. Look at this. You know, <laughs> I am on a set where there's like an Oscar-winning director who edited Citizen Kane shooting a big screen version of this thing that got canceled like 10 years ago. I mean, this is the most amazing thing ever, you know? Yeah. And that's cool. And you know, it... I can totally relate to that. I can totally relate. You know.
0: Yeah, looking at it as as an artifact uh is is definitely worthwhile but you got to get your you got to get your mind back into that. I mean, we've been spoiled. I mean, we've got 11 other movies to watch. We've got, you know, a dozen movies coming out every week. We've got to remember that, you know, in 1979, there were probably a dozen movies released or at yeah. least movies that people actually went and saw. Yeah. So, I mean, like, this was a big deal. Like, this is the movie that came out that month. <laughs> yes. I was going to ask what month it came out, and then I realized <laughs> that we're doing an anniversary show. So yeah. this was the movie that came out December, you know, like, mm-hmm. December 1979. But yeah, okay, so now on the whole, you know, it's
1: been, well, what, probably like 10, 12 years since you've seen it for the first time. It's been 22 years, almost exactly, since I've seen it for the first time. You know, having experienced it in whatever ways that you have and having, you know, digested all this other Trek and talked about the original series on this show for 60 episodes and all that other stuff, when you look at the motion picture now, how has your opinion of it changed since that initial viewing?
0: I honestly don't think it's changed that much.
1: No. No. Still think it's kind of just boring,
0: I think it's kind of just there, I mean honestly, yeah uh, i'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it but <laughs> it's just it's there, it's you know film number one, it's the motion picture, it's important, and I know why it's important, and I know it's historical significance and stuff, but it just it's not for me, mm-hmm. and I'm fine with that, and everyone else is fine with that,
1: yeah. Yeah, I you know, I definitely appreciate it a lot more than I did back then. I think uh, you know, where I came at it the first time around was I don't know what Star Trek is and this is Star Trek and that's terrible, and then you know, watching the other movies, I was like, Oh, this is Star Trek though so then that other thing is really terrible. They really messed it up. <laughs> but now, you know, having experienced all of Star Trek and kind of seeing where it fits in you know, historically, but also just sort of like as another incarnation of this much larger thing, which has, you know, a million different permutations, I can appreciate it uh, for what it is, and I do think that it is a good movie. I don't think that it's a great movie. I don't think that it's one of the best Star Trek movies, but I do think that it is a good movie. And the thing about it is, for whatever faults it has... There's some stuff in there which is just, like, the most amazing stuff ever. And, like, I almost want to say, like, even if everything else was absolute crap, which I don't think it is, like, it's worth it just for that music and just for some of those visuals and and everything. You know, that kind of makes it worthwhile, even if they drop the ball on a lot of other things.
0: And, and the more you read about it, and the more you read about Gene Roddenberry, this is really his pure Roddenberry.
1: Yeah. And you can tell. You know? It's cool.
0: Yeah. Well, it was fun talking about the motion picture on its 35th and one-day anniversary today. But that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. But instead of it being a human being prejudiced against Vulcans because the Romulans look like Vulcans, the Vulcans are taking advantage of themselves looking like Romulans in order to be racist against Romulans. Earl Grey. So, do, so he's got the two armrests, and the right one says little, you know, Ensign, you know, Lamont, and the little arrow. <laughs> and then the one on the, on the left says Lieutenant Commander Data. a <laughs> little arrow. The orb. But when they pull away from that window with Jake and Kira, and they pull away from the station, it's like they're closing the book. They're, they're actually closing the back cover of the book, and it's the end of the story. To the journey! How do you feel, Char, about the Borg Queen? Oh boy. I think the longer that I have watched Star Trek, the more I'm in the camp of... I don't know if I like her. The Ready Room.
1: They want you to come across on Archer's side where he can be mad at Trip. But I have a really hard time being Archer being mad at Trip because just think of if we still treated, you know, people of a different race like this. Mission Log,
0: a Ronberry Star Trek podcast. That can honestly be the reason they brought Wesley because Wesley's got nothing else going for him there. I mean, yes, he can lead those kids, but that's just going to be by virtue of his age. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he's 15 years old. Of course, all the other kids are going to look up to him. At least for a while. And then if he ends up being a total tool, then they won't. Commentary. Trek stars. Yeah, yeah well, The Learning yeah. Curve was never meant to be a season one finale. They were going to do the 37s, and then UPN wanted to open season two with it, and that totally didn't work either. Man, you got you to gotta say UPN really ooped it up. Literary. Treks.
1: What Jerry Taylor talks about with Catherine Janeway's life is... It's kind of a series of her relationships. I mean, she should be doing all sorts of fantastic things,
0: right? And instead, we're learning about her boyfriends. Melodic Treks. But there's a whole host of, of people that appear in Star Trek. As I said, most of it is classical. So it's Verdi, Vivaldi, Strauss, Tchaikovsky, Kotsky, um, Harry Kim. The 602 Club.
1: This really does have an impact on, I think, the entire
0: comic book world. Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns still have a huge impact in the way that people view Batman today. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek Talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, and SoundCloud. And among other things where you can get your podcasts, or you can just stream it directly from the website. You can go to track.fm slash podcast to get all the links. Let's tell everybody where they can contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on today's show. They can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose standard orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also talk to us and our other listeners at our Facebook group, The Babel Conference. In social media, you can find our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TrekFM and on Twitter under username Trek FM. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Well, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing commentary Trek Stars
1: with Max and John, and you can also find me uh, on Commentary doing commentary track stars off topic where we will eventually get caught up. We're like four episodes behind, but we're getting there. We're getting there. And you can also find me on Twitter at
0: Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, and various other places around the internet. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive Federation and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everyone?
1: Well, I have William Shatner's Star Trek Movie Memories where he talks ah, about... yes. All six Star Trek movies, including Star Trek The Motion Picture. It's the sequel to the best-selling Star Trek Memories, documenting in deliciously lurid and candid detail all the -the behind-the-scenes shenanigans in the making of the six Star Trek movies, with on-the-scene reporting from the set of The Seventh, in which Kirk dies. Spoilers. Jeez. Uh, And you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM.
0: That's right. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30 day trial just as your great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've got to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to Audibletrial.com slash Trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's Audibletrial.com slash Trekfm and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. And lastly, there's another way you can keep us in orbit, and that's by supporting us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, You'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as an associate producer on our shows. You can also find out where all the donations can go, things like covering the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com trekfm, so check it out. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr. Sulu, ahead warp one. Warp one, sir.
1: Heading, sir.
0: Out there. That way.